it's going to start. Hi, today on the Caffeinated College Coach Podcast, we have a very special guest, one of my dear friends, Miriam Karp. Um, not only is she an educator, an artist, a doula, a chaplain, she has so much knowledge about education and her path, and she's going to tell us how it's important to never stop growing and educating yourself and living because she wears many, many different hats. And so I'm going to turn it over to Miriam and have her just introduce herself and, um, let us know a little bit about who she is. I know you were raised in Michigan, right? That's right. Detroit area, Detroit suburbs. Hi. Thanks for having me, Wendy Sue. Sure. That's such a beautiful introduction. I thought I was going to explain how don't approach your college education the way I did. <laughs> but even if you're crazy like me in the end, it all kind of comes out in the wash and works its way out. Well, you're also an author. Like you, you have so much success. You have to inspire everybody else now. Okay. Well, uh, the short version is I grew up in Michigan in the suburbs, kind of a typical suburban middle-class house. And when I was a teenager, kind of the tail, I mean, it was really the seventies, but in my mind, the tail end of the sixties, I kind of started searching and thinking there's got to be more to life than just a car, two cars, nice house, even though they sound good to me now, right? <laughs> you know, over time, your perspective changes. So I kind of did a lot of searching and traveling and eventually ended up kind of rediscovering, well, discovering a deeper aspect of my Jewish roots than I knew about and um, marrying a rabbi and working in Jewish education for many years. But as you mentioned, I'm also a, an artist and a writer and kind of rediscovered those um, maybe in the last 20 years or so. And in very recent years, started training and working as a hospital chaplain. So that's kind of what I do now for my day job. For your day job. That's <laughs> awesome. So I remember you telling me that your dad, he graduated from Harvard, right? Right. He went to grad school at Harvard. All right. So no pressure. No pressure. No, there wasn't pressure to go to Harvard. There was pressure, not pressure, but definitely the clear expectation. He was the first generation American. Okay. And like most immigrants, his parents worked really hard at, you know, uh, a candy shop and a laundry and a this and a that so that their kids would go to right. college and become, you know, make, have, the, fill the American dream. So he went to Harvard for grad school. So there was definitely just that on, you know, since this is a college oriented uh, podcast that on, you know, just like you breathe, you're going to go to college and, and, you know, do something meaningful and productive and, you know, interesting. And what are you going to be when you grow up? Wasn't just right. like, and something there. lucrative. So that, I guess there was a, yeah. yeah. And I guess there was a pressure around that, you know, my parents, not, you know, kind of that unspoken expectation. Can I not, ask you a question, Miriam, sure. about, so your dad, did he go to Harvard like in the 50s? Yeah, he went to, to undergrad, you know, locally at Wayne State, where most of the kids of immigrants went in Detroit. And then he, trying to think if he went to grad school or the Navy first. I think then he went to grad school and then he served in the Navy. So yeah, because it was in the 50s. Because Harvard at one point didn't accept Jewish people. 
Um, So how did he get in? Well, he did. They did. But it was it wasn't like today. It was definitely, you know, more restrictive. I don't know. any. he never really spoke about that, but it definitely came into play in that he really wanted to be an architect. Mm -hmm. And he was told that the architecture firms at that time, like that probably would have been about 1950 because he graduated high school in 46, were very much, you know, white, waspy, you know, closed doors, very, um, you know, accepted people only within their kind of a self-perpetuating. So he was just told, don't even go for architecture. So that that did, you know, I, I, don't, I never heard him speak directly about Harvard being an issue, being Jewish. He had some other Jewish friends that went there too. So maybe in that sense, things were kind of opening up then. But okay. um, it, yeah, that negative, you know, you're a Jew and you can't do this or it's going to be super hard for you definitely did direct his, his career choice. Yeah. So when you graduated high school, Mm -hmm. um, did you go directly to college or did you do Mm -hmm. the self-exploration? I was already kind of doing the self-exploration, but I thought, Oh, I'll do it at college. Cause I, I went to the university of Michigan, which had within the giant mega university, a small kind of artsy hippie, liberal um thing called the residential college so that definitely seemed like my kind of people doing my kinds of exploring so (laughs) you know my first class was freedom and structure as existential realities or something like that you know like oh that sounds so cool that's pretty practical like that'll get you a job absolutely (laughs) anywhere you want oh my gosh so um did you graduate from there or where'd you graduate? I didn't graduate because I was, as time went on, and at first I thought, oh man, I'm going to college, all these deep thinkers and intellectuals, and I'm going to find all the answers to these questions there. But um, even, you know, I think to a certain degree now, perhaps I would be able to, a lot of things that just did not fit into, mm-hmm. you know, even talking about spirituality or searching or, you know, I, I kind of looked in psychology and anthropology and mythology and different things. But um, so as time went on, when I was there, I was doing more and more of this searching outside of college. Yeah. I dropped out for a while and worked on an organic farm and I traveled around California going to different intentional communities. And um, by my third year, I had just kind of had it, you know, so I, so I never finished my BA. <laughs> But you did finish it, though, because you have a master's degree. Well, I didn't. I, I after I don't remember which came first. I think after I dropped out or my and my last year of school, I just went to art school, partly because I love to paint and partly because I wanted to stay in school. But I just couldn't take any more academic. What I what seemed to me like ivory tower, like, you know, just kind of for whatever. So. Um, I eventually, while I was in art school, and then um, got involved in more traditional Hasidic Judaism and studying it and finding like, oh, there's a lot here. Maybe this is kind of what I've been looking for everywhere else. So I went to New York to study in a seminary there. And I kind of, it always bothered me that I hadn't finished, because, partly because of, you know, this very strong college-oriented upbringing that I had. Um, and I always kind of figured, well, there's a lot of programs that give you credit for life experience and this and that maybe eventually yeah. I'll put it together 
and never got around to it. I was busy raising a family and, and working in Jewish education. But um, as you know, because we were teaching together then, the school where we taught um, said, hey, you know what, you need a degree. So I thought, I first I, I, I looked into some of these programs that would give me a bachelor's for three years of college and seminary and life experience, but they all wanted at least another year of study with them. And I kind of thought, you know, at this point in my life, I was already in my fifties. I'm going to do all that. I don't, I really want more than a bachelor's. Let's see if I could somehow swing this into a master's. And, um, uh, first I was going to do a master's in education, a program in, in, um, in Florida, except to me, based on a lot of all my, I had to write a whole portfolio and all my teaching and extracurricular things and CEUs and seminary. And then I kind of decided in education, I love teaching, but I really didn't want to go into administration. And for what I was doing, I, you know, I kind of felt like I had the knowledge base I needed. So another, another chapter of craziness, I decided to develop my own individual master at Antioch, which is kind of a, a more open and they also accept me based on my schooling and my life experience in my seminary. So I did individualized masters in um, art and painting and writing with kind of a Jewish philosophical underpinning. Which so, that's another practical move. <laughs> no, no, no. But that sounds harder than just attending. Like you had to create your own program. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was great. Um, you know, like everything, everything has its, its ups and downs. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, looking back, I don't know if I, if maybe a more rigorous structured program that I had to fit into, maybe I would have gotten more out of it, but in certain ways I got a lot out of it. And um, it eventually, like now I'm applying to be a certified chaplain and the combination of my seminary studies and the fact that I have a master's, even though it's a not master's of divinity, um, and it was in some ways in Judaic studies, is enabling me to apply to become a certified chaplain. So like I said, it's the long, short, not cheap route, but it is hopefully kind of all coming together, even not even on a practical level, besides the things that I learned and the experiences that I had. And my you mentioned that I'm a writer, so my master's thesis was. I wrote like a memoir. And so that was definitely great having that structure that otherwise I probably never would have, you know, put in the sustained time and effort to do that. So that was definitely a cool outcome of that. Degree. I was going to ask about your book because mm -hmm. I mentioned in there about my recycling. So, uh, <laughs> or did you write a different book yes. before that? No, nope. that's it. I've written a lot of articles, but that's my only book. Tell so us far. more about your book. Tell us more about your book and where we can get it. Oh, so it's called Painting Zadie's Dream. Zadie is the Yiddish word for grandfather because I had this dream about my Zadie that was kind of the central turning point of the story. Uh, Memoir of a Searching Soul, and you can get it on Amazon. And yeah, I had the idea of wanting to write it for a long time. I have been a writer and I enjoy kind of sharing my spiritual story, not in a like dogmatic way more into like hey these are my struggles this is my craziness you know maybe you can get something out of it too and also kind of just wanting wanting to find a way for people that I love who haven't really I think have been a little bit amused by my change in lifestyle and perspective you know just to build a bridge like I say 
Um, so it was a great experience to, to do that. And one of my teachers in this program was like, a, is a well-published writer and he was my mentor and my critic and, you know, gave me things to read and, you know, helped me shape it and everything. So yeah, it was a cool experience, definitely. And for a while, especially right when it first came out, I did a lot of traveling and speaking and stuff like that. So that was fun. That sounds so cool. Tell us about your, um, your art, because I know you get commissioned sometimes to paint specific. I know that Mendy and Journey did that, mm-hmm. their wedding picture. Um, I know you have pictures of Rabbi Schneerson um, and candle lighting, which for us in the Jewish world is very, very sacred and holy. Um, how do you get that inspiration? I mean, does it hit you at like 3 a.m.? Like, how do you, I mean, yeah, kind of channel well, that? I wish I had this very exotic answer. Oh, like, come oh, on, Miriam. I know you do. <laughs> the painting on the cover of my book, that is that, that central yeah. part of my story. That was a dream in the middle of the night that not only turned into a cool painting, but changed my life. But usually I kind of sit down and go, okay, um, I got to paint something. What am I going to do? Sometimes I'll see image. I mean, I, my painting is kind of, I call it like, ex, I don't know, I have a term, which I can't remember, but something like it's, it's generally realistic based, but more expressive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, just different things that inspire me. Sometimes it's a, a scene from Jewish life. Sometimes it's a lot of times they do landscapes from the land of Israel. Sometimes it might be a more abstract idea, like the letters of the Hebrew alphabet are supposed to have a lot of mystical power. So sometimes I'll kind of build on that, you know, um, and be thinking about those ideas as I do it. So um, like a lot of color and expressiveness. And I wanted stuff like to that. ask about the color because... There, what type of paint do you use? Because it's extremely vibrant and the colors always complement each other. It's like a thicker paint, isn't it? Or um, I just use, it's funny, because when I was in art school, I did oils and I, be, I was like, oh, all the years my kids were growing up, I was like, I can't do oils. They're toxic. They're smelly. They take a long time to dry, but I'm not going to do acrylic. That's like you know, oils are for fine artists and acrylic is this plastic junk that dries in five minutes. Then I finally started doing them and they're amazing because they're so easy and they're versatile yeah. and they wash out. And I like, I've come to really like that they dry quickly. Um, so just regular acrylics when I'm feeling a little more, um, um, what's the word, a little more flamboyant, I'll buy thicker. There are better grades that are thicker, but just kind of whatever I have on hand, you know. That's awesome. And, yeah, I just have a feel for colors. I'm happy that you say that because sometimes I feel like my colors are all kind of graying out or something. But, you know, I have studied color, but basically I, I pretty much paint intuitively less rather than methodically, you know. Like yeah. when I start, I know it's going to end up completely different, you know, and I just really into the process, you know. So what the colors I end up using are just kind of sometimes I'll like have a little voice in my head or just what I happen to have on hand, but you know, just kind of mush. That's why I like painting. You keep mush until something happens. <laughs> do you have a web page with your paintings? I do. It's not up to date, but it should be. But it's, some of my paintings are there. MiriamCarpSoulArt.com. And for anybody in Cincinnati, I will have a booth at the um, Ish Jewish Art Festival, which is, I forget oh, yeah. the, isn't it? 
I think it's like the last Sunday of September. Okay. I forget exactly. I S H. Look it up. Um, awesome. Are you going to be at the farmer's market or no? From, uh, probably not. I okay. thought about it, but doesn't have time to sit down and right. get that together. Yeah. And have a lot of other stuff going on. No, fully get yeah. it. Fully get it. So then yeah. not only are you an artist and an educator, but you've taken time out of your professional career to become a doula. What inspired you to get certified to be a doula? I mean, that's well, high stress, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't get, I did take a course and started working, but I didn't follow through to certification and kind of left that behind. I love it. I mean, I was kind of, we were teaching together for many years and then I was working on my master's and doing a lot of freelance writing and art and kind of felt like I needed, in addition to that, something a little more substantial. So I decided to train as a doula just because I've, thank God, had a lot of kids and really believe in, you know, natural childbirth when possible and just support, you know, it's the kind of thing that when someone has support, mm-hmm. it can make a big difference. It does. Um, so I did do some training and worked at a few births and loved it, but realized just that complete, um, you know, lack of any kind of predictable schedule right. uh, wasn't, wasn't really going to work for me. And then I just happened to find out about chaplaincy really from one of my sons. Um, and it, it, um, I thought, wow, I'm really interested in working with people spiritually. I've always really been interested in psychology. Like if I hadn't done all these crazy things, I think I probably would have become like a child psychologist or something like that. And chaplaincy combines a lot of those things. Yeah. So what's the process I'm getting certified for a chaplain? Um, You pay $1,000 and take a test? Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) On Facebook, right. Right. Um, I took four units of what's called CPE, which is um, like continuing ed or something or no, it's a pretty intensive chaplaincy training course, chaplaincy. And now I can't remember what it stands for, but anyways, they have a lot of acronyms in the chaplaincy world. And um, last year, so I took the first each, you know, unit you meet, you do some like kind of um, trial work in a hospital setting, a mentored situation. And then um, last year I was uh, a chap. Sometimes some people do it just through these kind of, you meet once or twice a week, you have some reading, you have some writing. A lot of what it is, is writing up. You have a group of people that are in this cohort with you and people, you write up your experience with a patient, obviously making it anonymous, changing everything and read like the transcript of the interaction and people discuss it and critique it and give you ideas. Um, but last year I had the opportunity to children's hospital has a, a residency where you're actually paid as an employee and doing the CPE t- twice a week and working in the hospital on the floor three days a week. And that was great. That was where I really kind of cut my teeth and, yeah. you know, um, and then this year I, I'm working part-time at a, you know, I, I finished that and that f- felt like being a real chaplain, but I was still under this, you know, it was an educational and work thing. So now I'm working at a couple hospitals here in town and there's a board, like different boards that you apply to. You have to do a lot of written material and submit all your credentials and letters of recommendation and da, 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 da. Yeah. It's like grad school. Oh my gosh. I have to have this interview with this board and all this stuff. I think they really want to make it like a professional certification. So it's pretty demanding, actually. Today I had to send 
some of the, you know, some of the nitty gritty on my application wasn't exactly right. So I had to revise it and send it in, but that's yeah. good. You know, there, yeah. it's really a real thing. Yeah. So how as a chaplain, do you kind of decompress from how you serve your clients in the hospital? Cause it can be emotional. It can be, um, you know, uh, like you said, it, no two days are the same. You don't know right. what you're walking into. Um, like how do you go home and, and switch gears? That's a great question. That's actually a big thing they talk about in the chaplaincy world, you know, obviously is, yeah. What do you do to support yourself? I would say my main, I wish it was more of it's twice a week is Zumba at the JCC. Just That's get right. in there and sweat and dance and to this rowdy music, you know, and it feels great. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exercising, Facebook, you know, wasting time on Facebook, like most Same. people decompress these days. <laughs> right? yeah. Absolutely. Right. Know. You know, Shabbat is great. Our Sabbath, because it's yeah. a day that we just turn everything off and you kind of recenter yourself even if that means just extra sleeping, you know, but I know, I know. Yeah. What did we do before Shabbat? I don't oh my gosh. know. Right. We were yeah, like facing we something and then we realized here it is already built in. Just yeah. Chill yeah. Out. Just yeah. the day to leave all that behind kind of, and yeah, like I say, recenter. Mm-hmm. With, so that makes a big difference. I've heard you use the word crazy many, many times. <laughs> and when I know don't laugh, but like, when I think of you, I don't, I don't think of crazy because I don't know if people know this about Miriam, but she has been blessed with 10 kids. All right. And for those of us who would love a big family, it's like so beautiful and they're all redheads. Okay. So she (laughs) has all these gingers. They're so delicious and yummy and they have kids. And when you go to visit Miriam's house, it's just like, you're riding this wave of love and good vibes and everything's amazing. Like when we would come over for before COVID for like the Sabbath lunch or just to hang out and have coffee and like, you know, the usual Wendy thing, right? Um, I mean, you don't even need to eat. It's like the best company ever. So I would never think of the term crazy. It is a full, beautiful life. I mean, you're an artist, an educator, Um, an author, here you are now a chaplain, and you're not stagnant, you're not limiting yourself. And I think that that's really an important message that people who are listening get is that, you know, I'm switching jobs here, and I'm going to be 50 this year. And that's scary. And you just keep hitting the ground running. You're like, all right, I'm going to do chaplain. Check. I'm going to keep writing articles. Check. I'm going to drink coffee with Wendy. Check, check. You know, you're going to do all these things. <laughs> you know, really, check, check is, is the coffee thing. Um, so, like, that's the message I hear. Mm, you know, you. It, it really is. I mean, and you continue to work on yourself. You read, you do books. Um, you know, I don't know if you're learning with a partner right now, but like, that's something we do in Judaism is we continually learn because then we are stagnant and then we're not reaching our potential, but you have such a good message for people because you're just like, I want to do that. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I have 10 kids. I don't know, whatever. And you'll know in her book, they ate a lot of, a lot of cheesy macaroni. So when <laughs> I eat cheesy macaroni with my kids, I'm like, Miriam did it. She has 10 kids. It's it's a feast. 
it's amazing. It's going to be great. So that's how I see it. I mean, I know you're in the picture, so you can't see the picture. And sometimes you look back and you probably say, oh, I wish I would have done that. I should have done that. But that's not what people see, you know? Thank you. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. I think there is that little part of me you said back in the beginning, you asked me if there was pressure, you know, because my father went to Harvard. So there is that part of me that feels like, ah, you did all these kind of, you did a little this, you did a little that, you know, yeah, you smear paint, but you never really like, you know, did like a normal career for 50 years or 40 years or whatever it is. So that, I get, that's the part of me goes like, it's a little crazy, like it's fun, but it's a little, it's a little frazzled, but no, I appreciate your perspective totally. Sure. Well, our whole world is different now. I grew up in the same vein as you. You know, my dad worked 30 years for the state of Colorado, got the watch and was done, you know, (laughs) right? And now, I mean, I pretty much know that I'm going to be the Walmart greeter because we can't retire, you know, even, even with the 401k and the retirement packages and all this stuff, we're still like going to have to do something to supplement our income. Right. And nothing is really the same. And that's part of the guilt that I was feeling like, why am I transitioning at 50 to something that's so unknown? Right. But like you said, it's, it's, it's not a linear thing. So right. no, it's, it's really true. It's actually my, one of my sons, one of my, not all my kids are real gingies, but he is, he, he is working like career counseling and development. And that's one of the things he says these days, you have to just Mm-hmm. It's more about the skill set and the mindset and the flexibility because everybody's just kind of yeah. in flux, right? Yeah. So I, I'm real good at being in flux. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, we were ahead of our time. That's <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know, it's so true because, and then there's so many things we can do. I think as we were growing up, um, it was like you can be a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary, right? That's what I was told. And never once did it come on my radar that I could do two things at once, or I could be a mom and a college administrator or a mom and a writer or a blogger or whatever people do blogging. You know, there's so many things, you know, Um, now you, you can have 12 things going all at the same time and it's, it's normalized, you know, right. Totally true. Really good point. Really, really good point. Yeah. To just live into that. That's kind of, I feel like, well, who am I today? What's my password? What's my, you know, instead <laughs> of like embracing it, feeling a little scattered, but that is yeah. that's my reality and it's, it's many people's reality. And yeah, for all the little scattered, it's also wonderful to have your pot, your foot in many pots for sure. It's fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's not only a professional outlet, but then you have this, this personal like cup being filled up too. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I've always had to do that kind of work, something that, you know, yeah, because that's personal fulfillment aspect to it. Cause yeah. you'll be dead inside if you just keep doing the same thing over and over. And I know both oh. you and I have been at different jobs where, you know, the highlight was the free coffee. So, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, we, we've been there. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh my gosh. So no, I mean, and your, your kids, okay. Mm-hmm. As a mom, 
you've had to navigate college with your kids as well. Correct. Correct. So right now your twins, they're, are they in OT school now? They, it's actually, I, there's been so many times when I thought we got to call Wendy Sue. They're in, thank God, my twins are my youngest. They are 21, which is hard to believe. And they are in a program that is kind of a combined it's a four-year program in which they'll get a bachelor's and a master's in OT. And so they finish their first year, they're starting their second year, which is kind of a, they're in some ways still undergrads in some ways focusing on the OT stuff, but it's complicated partly because like they're home this summer and it's out of state and everybody, nobody's really answering the phone. And even just the technical pieces are, are frustrating yeah. as far as, you know, what is going on with my financial aid? And did you get this transcript and all that piece? But the actual program is very exciting. So yeah. I'm trying to tell them, which is probably a good lesson for parents. I mean, I'm a little relaxed just because I've, I haven't been through this exactly with my other kids, but, you know, with some of them, just like, you know what? It feels really overwhelming. Don't freak out. It's just money. They'll, people will work with you. You know, the, some, the, they didn't get your transcript, so they can't open up your financial aid file yet, that kind of thing, like, like, keep your eye on the prize, you know, what's, right. what's the picture here? Um, right. And you so, can yeah, get I mean, bogged kind of down, a, right? As a parent, you can get bogged down with yeah, all no, it's minute crazy. details. And you're just like, right. oh my gosh. It, yeah. And I don't really get what's going on. And nobody really, see, everybody seems to have a different answer. And, you know, yeah. So yeah, keep waiting and figure, you know, it'll, it'll yeah. happen, right? Because I know one of your kids is a nurse. One started her own school. Talk about you being a shining example. Oh my gosh. She started her own Montessori. And from what I can see, it's still thriving. Am I right? It's doing great. I almost sent you, forwarded you. Now I will. Because thought, well, that's the obnoxious bragging mother. Oh no, she please go for it. Okay, yeah. a, a video of a, a fun for a lot of schools in Chicago, but she there's only like two kids and two two or three teachers speaking in it, and she's speaking in it, and she's rocked the house. Yeah, she's amazing. She's oh. my practical go-getter, focused kid. We're all kind of like, wow, Mushki, you're amazing. So she has a Montessori, started as a Montessori preschool. She started with a friend. Now they have a small elementary as well, and it's, yeah very highly regarded and growing and just wonderful. That is mind blowing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So what piece of advice as a parent, as a non-traditional student, could you, could you, could you give people who might be listening? Hmm. Meaning hmm. parents. Yeah. Right. Parents of college age kids or parents of kids who will someday be college age. You know, every parent has their own style so and their own relationship with their kids. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm very supportive, but I try to find that balance of letting the kids kind of find their own way. Um, I don't like to tell them what, you know, I, I will see some parents that I know whose kids are this, that, or the other thing. And the parent was very, maybe a little more helicoptery than I am. And sometimes I think, oh man, they're right. I'm way too laissez-faire. But I feel like it's, you know, for me and so I guess the thing is you have to know yourself and know your children and trust yourself. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I feel from, from my perspective, it's their life. You know, they definitely can benefit from my perspective and my wisdom, but it has to come from them. You know, yeah. and I don't, I, don't I, I can't 
push them into something and then they're going to look back and go, you know, what happened, <laughs> you know? So finding that right balance, I think is important. And, um, you know, on the other hand, it, you know, encouraging them, you know, believing in them, letting them know you believe in them and helping them through the, the inevitable stresses and wrinkles and this and that. My two, my twins were studying the summer. They had a giant, really hard biology course. that was condensed into like three weeks. And then after that, they had two cleps they had to cram for. So yeah, seeing them work so hard and kind of like, you know, just encouraging them and congratulating them and letting them see how I can see how great they're doing and how much they're learning when they're feeling, you know, like totally overwhelmed, you know? Mm -hmm. And well, I like the message you said about money. It's like, it's just money. You know, a lot of times I know what the students I work with, they're like, I have to have 12 credits. I have to get that financial aid when that really isn't, um, you know, the precursor to get financial aid. You need a certain amount of credits, but there are ways, you know, private loans, different scholarships. I mean, um, there, there's a way to pay for it. And I think that when you had said that, there was just a calm that came across like, mm. we'll get it paid for, we'll figure it out. Let, let's keep continue to move forward. Right, oh, right. Yeah. One of my kids was kind of freaking out because this, they're in a private program and it's very expensive. And when you see the big numbers, it's tremendously daunting. But, you know, once we break it down and kind of talk it through and yeah. or like now, like, okay, am I going to get these late fees? Because my transcript didn't get sent from A to Z, even though I did everything I could. I said, you know, people yeah. will, they'll put it on hold. If you occasionally you get late, late, fee, late fees, yeah. you know, the guy won't crumble and you just right. have to, right kind of take a deep breath, keep your eye on the goal, not to be impractical with money, but right. You know, there are going to be bumps and things don't that work exactly the way that you hoped. And, you know, I think that only sets us up for future success to have that ability to pivot constantly and be flexible because I learned the hard way that nothing ends up the way you had hoped and mm-hmm. it's it's challenging and so you know the mentoring that you're giving your kids about being flexible and open and resourceful is only going to benefit them it's going to be yeah, yeah. So. ask to ask for help people like yeah. you I mean, that's something I don't I tend to not do enough is ask for help so so you know ask the people that know right reach out yeah. for people to help you right absolutely okay so tell us where to find your book again on Amazon what is it called it's called Painting Zadie's Dream. And this sounds really funny, but I can't remember how I spelled Zadie. I think it's Z-A-I-D-Y. Okay. Z-A-I-D-Y. Memoir of a, of, of a Searching Soul on Amazon. And, it's and then there. the website is Miriam Carp Soul Art. Soulart.com. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I'm really grateful you took some time to inspire us with your story. And um, you really are pure inspiration. So thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure.